this when I finally get it together in my head that like I need to go do this I'm just gonna go do it like I'm gonna find a backdoor method <laughs> I'm all about backdoor methods everything I've ever accomplished has been through the back door um, that'll probably come up again <laughs> um, yeah you know, I'm, I'm constantly asked, how do you do things? And I always say that anything that you want to accomplish requires dedication, requires time, and more specifically requires practice. Whether it's writing a screenplay or becoming an actor or something as simple as meditation, that's the big one. A lot of people come to me and say, like, oh, I, you know, I try to meditate, my brain wanders. And I said, you have to practice. There's certain things that you physically have to do, but you have to commit. Like, well, when I meditate, you know, I, my brain wanders. Or, you know, if I sit down to write, I know what I want to write, but I sit down and you know I check my email regardless if you look we practice all the time even though you may not be practicing in your mind when you sit down and you're instead of writing that story that is percolating in your brain instead of doing that you're you're looking at on YouTube or you're texting your friend back you're practicing doing those things. You know, if you're, uh, if you're just, you know, if you're, if you're meditating and you know, you've got an itch and you're scratching it instead of being still, you're practicing scratching yourself. You know, and you need to be aware of that. And the discipline that is required to be in the moment is you know, a lesson, a hard lesson that I've learned. And I'm not a, by any means, I'm not, I'm not a master at it. I'm not even very good at it, but I am aware when I do it. So, you know, let's take yoga, for instance. Yoga is comprised of many different poses. And a lot of times when you transition from one pose to the next, you, your brain just goes, oh God, I don't, I know what this pose is. And you, you hesitate. Or you wipe sweat from your from your brow, or you know you towel off, or maybe you even get a drink of water. But you're practicing those things along with your yoga. Just be aware of these things, and just be aware. You know, it's what I mentioned this before in another show. Um, you know that whole saying of "there's light at the end of the tunnel." Well, what if what if you just kind of sustain the tunnel, and you know you're it's darkness, and it's okay and you can learn from it. Be in the moment. And when you realize that there's nothing to be afraid of, then you can enjoy the, you can enjoy the, the tunnel, you can enjoy the darkness. Uh, and I think that that's missing in a lot of our lives. It was missing in my life. And I was just kind of going straight forward and I was kind of barreling ahead and I wasn't having any fun. Even in my accomplishments, I just felt dread because I felt like I put, put all this work in for this and now I have to go on to do the other thing and it was exhausting and uh, I was miserable but I learned a lot 
from doing that and where I am today. And I'm in a much better place because I know the difference. I know the difference between of the opposite of where I am. Um, you know, this podcast is, uh, you know, I don't, I have one sponsor and that's Finest Kind Tea, um, which is a, uh, a, it's a group that they call themselves mixers and modifiers. You can put their tea into drinks, whether it's water or alcoholic beverages. But the owner and CEO is Jay Lombard, who's my friend, and he's actually been, he was uh, a podcast guest. He uh, recently got engaged, and I'm, I'm on his journey, and I f- there's nothing that makes me happier when my friends who have persevered find enlightenment and find happiness for them, for them, and you know, those are the, when I, it's, it, to me, it's, you know, we've had so many conversations over the years about, you know, self-evaluation and self-reflection and, and those were the things that we were practicing at the time. And it's great that he, you know, he's, this is something that he's wanted and he's turned the page and actually it's not because what am I saying? He was a, he was divorced and he told me, he's like, man, I'm never getting married again. Um, but I guess through his practice, you know, he changed his mind. And I think that's awesome because I've never seen him happier in his life. And I've known him for a very long time. So, uh, Jay, if you're listening, uh, congratulations. This is awesome. I'm so happy. And, you know, I can't wait for, uh, you know, the whole, not only this next chapter, but I can't read the, uh, the next, I can't read to be along with this journey. Listeners, uh, go to finestkindtea.com. They're, uh, like I said, a great group of people in the lovely state of Maine. Um, you can apply their, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what they do. They're, they're a great fucking product. I'm not going to promote any shit that I don't use myself. It's fucking awesome. Um, anyway, speaking of turning the page, another horrible segue. Uh, my guest today is Melissa Mescu, which is, this is so bizarre because I, she and I have been trying to coordinate this episode probably since the summer and if you have heard the podcast with uh uh Shuli Halleck I actually knew uh intro- she introduced me to Shuli so they're they're cut from the same cloth they're both brilliant and funny and smart and warm and uh conveniently or I don't know why I said conveniently ironically maybe that's the right word uh Lara from a few episodes before um from at not Laura, uh, actually worked with them. It's a small world. Um, anyway, uh, Melissa is uh, she's many things. She is um, she's a front end web designer and developer, and she's a content strategist. Strategist. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you that I'm. I don't come off very smart in this conversation. Strategist, strategist, planner. Uh, what else does she do? She's a the founding editor of New Work Magazine, so you should definitely check that out, and uh, also the co-founder of, a, of Pure Dental, I'm sorry, I, I'm screwing that, Pure Pure Q Dental Technology, which we get into in the conversation, so I, 
my point is she has such a diverse skill set and so it's just mind-boggling to me. It's amazing. I mean, she's a writer, an entrepreneur, she's a teacher, she's an activist, she's so many things and it's just um, you know, super super smart and I think her um her her personality is very infectious. I I wanted to talk to her for uh for a few more hours. Um you can follow her on Twitter, uh, Melissa Mescu. Obviously, I think you know how to spell Melissa. Last name is M-E-S-K-U. Her website is melissamescu.com. Uh, okay, I'll shut up now. Without further ado, my mind-blowing, heartwarming conversation with the amazing Melissa Why are you up that late? And then I, I remember, like, as a, you know, just, just like, you just kind of kind of go down that rabbit hole of, mm-hmm. you have nothing to do, so you just keep watching TV yeah. or watching YouTube clips of yeah. cats or something. Yeah. Um, Anything. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Anything but, but that actually, so yeah, I want to, oh, so we started it, in case sure. you didn't know. That, oh, that cool. cool. All right. Great. Uh, so, I guess I wanted to start, because one thing I was curious about, uh, and since you know, pertaining to my background of your uh, education, of your educational background, yeah, um, or background in education, but sorry, two separate right. things, I suppose. My dyslexia <laughs> will come out eventually. It's a conceptual dyslexia. <laughs> um, but uh, it was was it what grade was it that I taught? Yeah, uh, it was basically pan high school, so like ninth grade, tenth grade. Wow. Yeah. Where was that? Uh, my formal high school teaching was actually. In Texas, in Fort Worth, Texas. What was that like? Uh, I mean, it was fantastic. It was also the hardest thing I ever did. What do you I, mean? I, well, uh, okay, so I always had it in my head that I would love to teach. I mean, even before I was in school, I was this pedantic little brat that would like make her cousin sit down and like, I'd make worksheets and make them sit down and like, do them. <laughs> That sounds, sounds, sounds like a lot of fun. What about playing? I know, right? It's, I don't know, it's my version of playing. Uh, so I always had it in my head that I would love to teach. Um, and there she is. actually, even when I was in college, uh, I was just thinking, you know, what the hell am I actually going to do with my degree? What am I going to do when I get out of here? I guess I should think about this. And so I actually um, uh, reached out to the admin at the school and I'm like, is there a teaching program at our school? I haven't heard anything about it. I, I, you know, I'd like to go into teaching one day, so maybe I should just do that as well while I'm, while I'm enrolled in college. And um, I was going to Berkeley, and um, unbelievably, uh, the, the woman that I was talking to, she just had such an attitude about it. She said, well, honey, if you wanted a high school teach, you shouldn't be going to a school like this. You should just go to a state school. Like, that is, wow, that's so, that's so wrong-minded. Um, so I uh, didn't have a certificate. I had a lot of friends that eventually went into high school teaching, and this was in California. I'm from California. Um, and because of budget cuts and whatever, you might find yourself after college going to school for years just to get a one-year teaching certificate because they didn't offer all the courses and whatever. And to me, that just seemed 
backwards. Like if you want to teach, then you probably have it in you to be a halfway decent teacher. Like just that you would be compelled to want to go to, into teaching. Uh, it's a good sign. Um, but if there are so many barriers just to be able to get in the classroom and we know we need good classroom teachers. We know we need this as a as a country. Oh yeah. Um, so any barriers that are that are put up to prevent people from getting into the classroom, I think that's just that's ridiculous. Like that something needs to be fixed about this, and like in a in an institutional kind of sense. Um, so I had a lot of friends that were in like going through teacher training programs. It just took forever. I'm like screw this. When I finally get it together in my head that like I need to go do this, I'm just gonna go do it. Like, I'm going to find a backdoor method. <laughs> I'm all about backdoor methods. Everything I've ever accomplished has been through the backdoor. Um, that'll probably come up again. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, whatever. After college, I went and I, I did this, I did that, I did a lot of random things. And uh, the reason I didn't go straight into teaching is I, kind of, I think I kind of felt I had like a bit of an inferiority complex, especially when it comes to like as a teacher, you have to be the man. Like you have the, the man, like capital the, capital man. Like right. you're you're a, an arm of the state. You have dominion over these kids. You're you have a, you're you're responsible over them. And I felt like I identified too much with kids. To you wanted to be, be the cool teacher. I I did, and I know that that's not uh, the best approach. And also, I knew that uh, especially for a first year teacher, in general, you get hired in in schools that have. Uh, the schools that are either underfunded or serving um, like un- underserved youth or right. uh, urban schools, like schools that have problems, basically. Um, so it's not like you're going to get some rosy job with like great easy kids that are you know well adjusted and like ready to embrace you. You there will be some kind of um, like it will require aspects of personality that I didn't feel like I had, like uh, being authoritarian. I'm an anarchist at heart, so I'm just, just telling people what to do and making them do it, like, I, I have a big problem with that. I'm not very good at it. I don't enjoy it. Um, so it took me until I was about 26 before it finally dawned on me, like, okay, I'm, I'm adult enough to actually embark on this path. And so at the time, I was living in Seattle, and um, it's one of those wonderful cities that's just full of people that have PhDs that are working at Starbucks. So I'm like, okay, this is not going to be the right place to try and get into this because there's a glut of overqualified people and there's not enough jobs for them in general. Um, so I did some internet research and I looked around like where, where is their need? Where are, like which, in which states are there alternative certification programs where you can just like get in the classroom and get it done? Um, and so I did actually even apply for Teach for America. Uh, they didn't take me. I think I was too old and had a, too big of a chip on my shoulder. <laughs> I don't blame them. Those are like the um, first two questions. I know. Right? <laughs> they should just come out with it and ask it because we could have saved ourselves a bunch of time. Like, look, do you think you're too old for school? You have a chip on your okay. shoulder. <laughs> <with> shoulder. <laughs> then you don't belong in our program. Our program's for uh, for kids that are fresh out of Ivy League schools. And when, when they say jump, they jump. So, um, so I found... Uh, among many, I really wanted to live in the Southwest. That was my other thing. I was like, well, if I'm going to move to another state, sight unseen, and I don't know anybody there to like do this teaching job. The, you're, in, you're in Seattle? Yeah, I was living in formulating Seattle. Formulating list? Yeah, yeah. And I've always loved the Southwest, but especially after living in Seattle for a couple of years and just having that like great depression. <laughs> the idea of the desert sounded really fantastic. So, uh, so you're was, thinking like Arizona? Or? Yeah, or New Mexico, or... What, I don't know. Let's see what's out there. Um, Utah. Hell, it's beautiful. It is, uh, yeah. yeah. So um, I 
researched around and it was the state of Texas that basically was open arms. They, were, they had such brain drain and such need for teachers that like every county has an alternative certification program. So I actually went through a program, program in quotes, it was literally a crash course of seven days. Seven, seven days. days. It was seven days, like like Monday through Sunday. Like just get it done. You're seven like days. so. Like day one is pencils, and day like seven <laughs> is like no. They they it was actually quite good. Uh, they just went straight for the things that would be difficult for a person coming into the classroom for the first time, teaching in the places that you would probably end up getting a job. So uh, what were your the, were your colleagues like? Oh, they were all mid-career changers. Huh. So people that had worked on Wall Street, people that came from the corporate world, you name it. Um, so it was just a crash course of like how to establish uh, rapport with your students, but in a way that demands respect and like kind of, I mean, there's almost like a militaristic approach to it. Um, so were you, were you uh, drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, or were you just like, no, man, I'm going to do what I want? No, no. Um, I really... I trusted what they were saying because in, in doing my own research and I read some books about, you know, teaching in urban schools and whatever, and it confirmed, like the program confirmed everything that I'd heard, which was, it's not about teaching. It's about running a classroom with all of the odds stacked against you, whatever it might be. Um, so I took what they said to heart. It, I found it. Um, as far as like a seven day program for anything, I thought it was pretty straightforward. Um, and I did uh, kind of cruise around Texas looking for a city I would want to live in and looking for a school I'd want to teach. The, the, the seven day thing was in Texas? Yeah, the seven day thing was in, um, was in, let's see, where did I do it? I think I did it in Houston. Well, I think you're hitting something. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm just, um, it's just popping. I have, I have, I have active feet. <laughs> there, how's that? Um, so I had the whole of Texas available to me with this certification. So I um, really just went around Texas, like, looking for a place that I would want to live in. And I even spent, like, a month in Houston, because I got a job there. I spent, like, a month in Houston, like, asking myself the question, like, hey, where would I live here? Do I like this place? And I could never find where Houston really was. Like, I was there, and I just couldn't find it. What do you mean? Like, like where, where, who are these people, and where, where do they live, and what do they do for fun? And, like, what is this place? I could never really put my finger on it. I drove Were you there at around. night? I, day, night, no. yeah. Look, like, just looking for, like, what, what would my life look like here? And it just never really gelled. Um, so you didn't like Houston? Yeah. Was it, it's pretty, <laughs> is it, it's pretty It's huge. Dangerous? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure pockets of it are for sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's an interesting place, but I just, it, it never really happened for me. I couldn't really figure out like where I want to live or how, I, what my life would look like there. It just didn't stick. Um, and so one of the other, I went all over. I went to San Antonio. I went, I had daydreams of living in El Paso before I had seen El Paso. <laughs> and it didn't live up to my daydreams, so I just kept cruising around. What was and that based on? Is this like movies it, or like the, the, I, the know, Tex-Mix aisle yes, in the supermarket? Yes. Like, <laughs> uh, so I mean, my, my, I have always loved the Southwest. I've always had a fascination with it and I try to go every year and every year I spend maybe a couple weeks or a month at some point like doing a road trip. Wow. I love it. I love it. I drag anyone there that will come with me too. <laughs> I love it. Um, but I don't. I don't know where the love for that came from. I honestly think it might have come from 
uh, Looney Tunes and like Wiley e. Coyote <laughs> and, and the and the background that's like always repeating of like Monument Valley and red rocks oh, and, yeah, and yeah. big skies with big puffy white clouds. I, I, it must come from there because I didn't really watch TV or movies oh, when I was a child, any, so I don't know where else I could have got these visions. Do you watch any John Wayne movies? No, I never oh. did. I never watched westerns. Yeah. Um, so uh, what I had in mind was that I would find some little adobe shack in some dusty place that had, you know, a blank vista, and I would just I'd be alone, and I would come out on my porch and sweep the dust off. It would be lizards. <laughs> that was really all I could. That was, that was exactly the picture I had in my head. It just sounded like this lovely solitary life. Um, but that was not to be found. So anyway, what happened is uh, one day when I was in Houston. Uh, I was looking online and I saw that there was a teacher job fair in Fort Worth, Texas. And I, I looked at my watch and I'm like, well, it's 2 o'clock in the morning now and the thing's at 2 o'clock in the afternoon tomorrow, so I guess I'll just like roll in the car and head over there. And I did. I showed up with my, uh, my requisite like fine clothes, which was a uh, wrinkle-free <laughs> wrinkle skirt and a wrinkle-free tank top. And I, I pulled up at the place and I, I snuck into the, the bathroom and like, washed my face and threw on my clothes because it's 110 degrees and I'm completely, you know, I'm unprepared and flippant about the whole process. Uh, so anyway, I went in there and I, I found a principal that I really liked and, and the school sounded lovely and interesting. I thought they were doing interesting things and I got that job and so afterward I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to live in this town. Haven't even seen the town yet. I literally just drove uh, like off the freeway and like went to this teacher job fair, shook hands with somebody, got a job and I'm like, okay. If I want to stay here, I'm going to go explore the town and like see if it's somewhere I'd want to stay, you know? Um, and did you have any anxiety or did you feel, did you, I mean, it sounds like you just kind of went forth without hesitation and this kind of reckless abandonment. Now you know who I am. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm getting a sense that it's, it's this um, kind of, uh, you know, devil may care kind of approach, but also with a lot of... Uh, dedication to yeah, that because a, a lot of times people do something like that and uh, they only do like a half measure yeah as I, opposed had, I was uh, completely intentional about getting a high school teaching job in Texas uh, specifically ESL because that's the population that I'm most interested in is language learners I, that, I had a background in, in a bit of that too and I love working, working with people who come from other countries it's just endlessly fascinating to me uh, so I was very intentional about what I wanted to do where it happens is almost, it, it doesn't matter to me. So I'm very flexible with the details, but very intentional with the, with the bigger picture. So, um, yeah, it was a double-may-care thing. I definitely just what drove around Texas for a couple months looking for a <laughs> place to live. You didn't have any worries? Like, I, I think most people would just be, like, kind of flipping out, right? Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. I love doing stuff like that, though. My life is full of stories. <laughs> that's awesome. Like that's great. Because I think I would. I mean, well, maybe not. Yeah, I guess I am learning to let go of a few things and kind of go with the flow. But um, yeah, I think if I was in that situation, I'd be kind of. Just, I loved just it. Kind I've of always panicking. had a really romantic notion of traveling alone. Uh, I'd never done it much in the United States because it's an expensive place to travel around. Uh, so then I just took to sleeping in my car most nights, um, which is fine and wonderful, and I really love it. And I could give you tips on how to do it well. Oh, I did. <laughs> I, I did a road trip, and I went from the west coast to all the way to. Um, I went south, so I went up. I went from from LA. I went up uh, 
to Washington, across Idaho, and then went down, and then went across from Texas. Everywhere in Texas, people, I was like, I was thinking, you know, and I explained that I was on a road trip, and they were like, oh, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And I'm like, I think I'm going to Houston. Oh, don't go to, uh, don't go to Houston. Houston's a shithole. <laughs> so I went everywhere in Texas but Houston because of that. Everywhere. Like, oh, don't go to Houston. Hey, man, don't go to I'm pumping gas. Don't go to Houston. Um, but I did, so... I would minimize my expenses, but I mean, sometimes I would treat myself and I would stay yeah. like at a motel or something. Uh, but a lot of times, I would just I, I didn't sleep in the car too much. I would actually because I did it in the summer. Oh, I went, it's really hard because it's so hot. Well, I just took a nap in the park. Okay, that's yeah, no, that's a good idea. No, seriously, I, it would have been nicer if I did it by truck, probably. So I just slept in the back of the truck. Under the stars, <laughs> that's the dream. That's how I really wanted to do it. But <laughs> I would dri- I would drive a lot at night and then sleep during the day. Yeah, that's good. And Texas has that seventy mile an hour speed limit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, what did you what did your students call you? They all called me Miss. Miss. Oh, really? So it's just the name that they call all the, all teachers. Most of my students were from Mexico. Uh, I, I guess that's how they do there. Oh. It, doesn't, it didn't matter what I called myself. All the te- all the female teachers were missed. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and at that time, were you were you committed to a point where this is what I like? I'm gonna go all in, and this is what I want to do, or this is what I want to do right now. Uh, I really figured you don't know what it is until you do it. I had a lot of big ideas about you know that I'd be the best teacher that ever lived and. <laughs> and, and it would be uh, this transformative experience. It was a transformative experience, but um, in the end, I felt like it was, it really just took everything out of me, and I had nothing left. Like, it cost me every penny that I earned and put back into just take, like, you name it, you, whatever. What do you mean? Some kid doesn't have shoes one day when they come in, what are you gonna do? You know? Or you name it, the needs are endless. And I know food. that I could, yeah, food, yeah, kept food in the, I mean, I kept food in the classroom because I think it's fun, uh, but there was also a lot of students that I had that, I, my, the population of students that I taught, um, I guess Texas is a huge place where we take refugees in, in the United States, didn't really know that, um, so most of my students were from Mexico, uh, many with undocumented parents. And then the other percentage, maybe about 15% of the kids, were, um, were recent newcoming refugees from all over, you name it, from anywhere, uh, all corners of the world, people, places I didn't even know we took refugees from. Um, and a lot of my students just didn't know like, what a strawberry was or had never heard of yogurt or whatever. Wow. So it was, a, it was part of the education that I tried to give them. It's just like, I don't know everything that you don't know, like, let me get it to you. So I did try to keep this book. <laughs> what, what, uh, what was their reaction to tasting yogurt for the first time? It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like sweet mayonnaise. It's, yeah, it's weird. I know. Colloids are weird. <laughs> wow. Um, but did did you feel that you have support in your innovative ideas, or was that kind of part of the burnout? Um, Actually, I really lucked out on that, and it's, I think it just depends on the school. The school that I worked in, um, I don't know what the laws are about it now, but they were uh, in this like no child left behind plan where if the school fails, like if the students don't live up to the state standards or whatever the allotted percentage of students that have to meet the state standards every year, if they don't meet that, uh, 
on the first year, then they get this kind of sanction or this kind of punishment. So like, you know, a, a percentage of the teaching staff has to get fired and replaced with new teachers. A percentage of the admins have to get fired and replaced with new admins. Uh, so that if they don't meet it on the second year, then this happens. If they don't meet it on the third year, then this happens. And on the fourth year, the school's going to get shut down. Right. It's all so performance based. So when I got hired, I believe was the third year or was the fourth year. So it was like do or die. The school will get closed down if, if the students do not uh, meet this percentage of the state standards. So uh, on the one hand, it was like the pressure's on. Uh, but on the other hand, um, the people that had moved into the admin positions of the school were relatively new at that school. They'd only been there for like a year or two. Uh, and they had a very, uh, like, I thought, a really beautiful, comprehensive plan that was totally by their own book. Like, they, they were renegades um, in the best way. They were like, we, like, get in there and do your good work, and we are not here to hassle you, and we're not here to serve, like, uh, surveil you, and we're not here to, like, you know, make your life hell. Like, some admins can. I suppose that's a, that's a thing that teaching is known for, is that you get stuck in this bureaucracy, and there's also a tape, and you can't do the work that you feel like you need to do. They really had a hands-off approach, and they're like, we're here if you need us, but you do your own thing. So... Uh, that was great. If I felt like I needed more help, that would have been a problem. But I didn't. I was very happy to just jump in uh, and jump in and wing it. And I did. And it was great. And actually, the school stayed open. But the kids, the kids met their standards. Is so, it still open? Yeah. When you say wing it, do you mean in terms of your lesson plans or? Uh, well, we. I mean, we had a semi-formalized structure for it, but also the state standards were changing, and they hadn't developed curriculum for all classes yet that fit the state standards. So there was just a lot up in the air anyway. So it is. It was a wing it job. I mean, teaching is a wing it job. You get up there and you do your dance and you hope for the best. You know. Um, why do you think some teachers, uh, um, you know, incorporate their incorporate the class, and and others are just kind of do it by rote, and you know, there's a lesson plan, and they treat that like some sort of sacred text. Yeah, um, I think there are a million ways to do it. It's I, I feel like teaching is mostly, and I know that there's like, you know, you can get a master's degree in pedagogy. I think teaching is a human talent you can add skills to it, you can get better at it, but there's a, there's a basic uh, type of person and type of behaviors that like make one a good teacher, and you can formalize those to some degree, but I think they're intrinsic. I think it's, it's like other art forms, it's like writing, you don't have to get a master's degree in writing to be a good writer, you just have to need to write, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if you if you care about your students and you really want to like get get on the level with them and like get them everything they need to succeed there's still a lot of different ways that you could do that i think it just depends on who you are uh i saw examples of everything i saw examples of teachers that were totally checked out and their students came and went and did whatever i mean i wouldn't jive with that because what am i here for i wasn't burnt out yet i was brand new so i was you know i i was ready to go I wanted to change lives. I wanted to reach these kids. I wanted to uh, help them integrate into American society in a way that they would feel comfortable with and in a way that would actually enable them to succeed. I mean, that's... Where do you begin? You begin everywhere, you know? <laughs> so, where did that begin with you? How did that start with um, you? Well, I have... 
I have my, I guess, in an environment like this where there, it wasn't really set in stone, like the, what your approach needed to be, you, there was a lot of freedom that I had with my students, um, that some of the ideas that I had coming into it like changed the way that I taught. Um, for example, uh, my students are all, we're all English language learners. So ostensibly they're all supposed to learn English well enough that they could integrate into the full English classes with no scaffolding. Um, so, I mean, that's... Was that, was that's that accurate, though? Because I've been in situations like that, and then I'll actually have students, and I'm like, wait a minute, like you, you, don't like, you don't understand anything I'm saying. Sure, yeah. And I had students that were absolute, absolute beginners. Absolute beginners. Knew not one word of English. That wasn't who I was supposed to have in my classroom. There was other, there were other ways that they were supposed to get integrated into my classroom before that even happened, but it still happened. Um, and of course, in every American classroom now, there's some degree of ELL scaffolding. Um, but um, so my job is to bring these kids up to speed with their language skills. So the way you can do, I mean, that's, there's a million ways to do that. So like I enforced like an English only policy in the classroom, and that was hard because you know. Kids want to talk and they want them to, you know what I mean? Stop um, feeding us yogurt! <laughs> this um, is bullshit. Um, and, okay, but for example, um, so if a majority of my students are Spanish speakers, and I have a bit of Spanish background, uh, my mother's Mexican, I was not raised speaking the language, but after I went to college, I moved to Guatemala and Mexico to learn Spanish, ostensibly. Um, so I had that working for me. Do you like um, it? Yeah. Do you like it being of Latin descent, but not of that, raised in that region and then being living there? Yeah, I mean, my students didn't give me any credit for it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, you're not Mexican. We're, Mexican. We're from Mexico. Where are you? <laughs> you know? um, but, so, in thinking about where are these kids going to be in five years, they're going to be out of the school system, they're going to be either in college or in the workforce. Um, I, it was important to me that they come away with actual bilingual skills and not just like the ability to read and write successfully in English, but also that they could do it in Spanish and that's not really a, a goal of like a, a, an educational goal that like institution that the, that schools have for this population, they're far more concerned about getting the kids level in English up. Yeah. But it's a huge asset to be bilingual, and it. But you're only professionally bilingual if you can speak and read and write and listen in your native language to a professional level. So yes, my kids spoke Spanish. By and large, my kids spoke Spanish. Uh, obviously, they're native. They're fluent, but that doesn't mean that they have writing skills in Spanish that were of a prof that, that could be of a professional level. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so and that wasn't really that wasn't explicitly taught. I don't know that that was even explicitly thought of. So and my job is to teach them English. Not no, no, another rule just broken. So like, ah, you know? <laughs> um but I'm wondering where all this even, like, even before the teaching, where did all this natural kind of investigation come from, from your end of just being, like, invested in people and mm. invested in culture? Um, probably the biggest thing that I am good at and the biggest thing I care to do is to help people reach their potential. 
and that is across the board. I mean, obviously, uh, underage students that are new to America, new to the English language, uh, helping them reach their potential is going to look very different from like working with people that are trying to tr transition out of the corporate world and into doing their own freelancing thing. You know, very different like positions in life and very different goals, but the essence is the same for me. It's what do people need to get to the next level so they can get to the next level, so they can get to the next level with themselves and what they want to do in the world. Um, activating people's potential is the most rewarding thing that I could possibly do. And there's a million You're like human DMT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like you're like in, you're like you're like jump starting pe people's brains in a, in a natural way. I love it. I'm going to hang on to that actually. Yeah. So okay, so uh, after you left Texas, then yeah, I'm just curious because like what you currently do is is very technology based. If mm -hmm. I if I'm if I'm yeah. correct, that's such a huge leap for at least for me for I, a, I know, a commoner like the, me. But I how know. so how did that happen? Uh, well, I mean, I can give you the the narrative story about how I moved from one thing to the other, but um, the basic gist is, I. I have never had a field that I stayed in for very long, but I have had a mission that has been like a personal mission that has kind of been the thread of all the things that I've done. So um, my first foray into like the working world or, or being useful outside, like you know, being an adult and doing something with your time, whether it's work that's paid or you know, career or just the thing that you do, um, I was. Uh, uh, a activist slash volunteer slash world traveler for like the first four or more years after I got out of college. I did not want a job. I did not want to work for the man. I did not want to be part of the system. Yeah. Change everything. Um, and I and I did a lot of really interesting stuff and I'm really glad that I did it and it was the right time in my life to just jump out there and, and, and do that the totally unpractical thing. Um, what kind of activism? Um, I well, when I was in college, um, I lived in a um, student co-op, uh, and the student co-op that I lived in was was the one that had the like hippie and radical bent. Um, there's a few of those at Berkeley, right? Yeah, well, there, there's the main one, and that's the one that I lived in. Now, honestly, that was the biggest reason why I chose Berkeley to go to, because I heard that this place existed, and I just had to know what that looked like. <laughs> I was fascinated that um, young people were, like, completely reinventing how people can live together, and, like, that, that they would, that I was hoping that I would be, ex that in living uh, in this, like, alternative environment, that I would be exposing myself to ideas I never would have found otherwise, people that I never would have met otherwise, that were doing things I'd never thought possible. And I did get that out of it, and it blew my mind, and it, it, it set up my path for, I mean, I'm still, I'm still on that trajectory, where just like, what is possible? Like, let's, let's do, like, please blow my mind. I want everyone to blow my mind, I want every day to blow my mind, show me something that I could not conceive of as possible. And I, I'm ready to be convinced, I love that. Um, so I, um, after living in a student co-op, um, it's a student co-op, so when you finish school, you're, you get thrown out of the, out of the house. Um, so a group of us, it was actually like 17 of us in total, uh, were like, well, hey, we're going to get thrown out of here in a couple months. What the hell are we going to do? Let's start our own co-op. <laughs> and 
it it was magnificent because everyone just kind of like wanted to find a way to make themselves useful for this project and so we got things happened that I never would have thought possible um, we got some funding from the city we uh, hooked up with this land trust organization so that we didn't have to actually buy the land we bought we like, kind of leased the land forever and you buy the house that's on top of it so it's cheaper um, and down to like you know people sourcing free materials on Craigslist like a literal dump truck full of bamboo <laughs> like, you name it and so as a group of us we um, bought a house uh, well, a serious fixer-upper like had to put the house up on cribbing everybody lived in the yard for like a year uh, to to live there was to work on the house as well um, and that and then we started a nonprofit to con to make sure that the house was continued would continue to be run cooperatively so it was a cooperative home uh, and it, it was built in a cooperative way and it's still run in a cooperative way and there's even I think they bought like the house next door some years later so now it's like a compound um, that, that was, <laughs> a compound, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm picturing grains and weapons and <laughs> a geodesic dome in the backyard you know you name it um, but that that was the first thing that I did outside of college and so I was 20 years old at the time um, and I had such a feeling of like, yes, this, I never would have seen myself doing this uh, a year before, and I wouldn't have even believed it was possible, and yet here are disparate people that came from all different corners of the world that met and decided to do this thing, and look at the sum, the, the, the total is greater than all of our parts. So uh, that, and I love that. I did not come from that. I, I came from, you know, Southern California and nuclear homes and a subdivision, uh, you know, TV every night and like, you know, and that's life. Get a job and like, that's life. Um, so it blew my mind that people of their own volition get together and do amazing things. So I'm like, I, I want more of that, like more of that anywhere. Let's do it. <laughs> so, uh, so that was the first thing I, um, also hooked up with an organization that um, they create basically wordless murals um, that are really intricate and beautiful and the, the, they tell a story of globalization in the Western Hemisphere, whether it's uh, like secret wars that the U.S. is conducting in Latin America or um, deforestation of the countryside. Uh, and, by glyphosate run, you know, from Monsanto uh, in Colombia to free trade, free trade area of the Americas, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it, it had a, the organization had a social justice bent and a, a strong like solidarity component, like telling the stories of people that were um, suffering the ill consequences of globalization. Um, and in these beautiful elaborate stories that can be communicated to anyone, even if you don't even if you're illiterate, because you can look at the pictures and like see what's going on. And what they did with these is they took they took them all over all over the hemisphere, but really all over the U.S. and Canada, and like would you know put on presentations that were uh, educational for the public about these issues in like a really uh, succinct, uh, non-theoretical way, like in a very clean way, explaining to people like what's going on in this corner of the world and how how these things are. Um, so I hooked up with that organization and worked with them for about two years. It's totally volunteers, ragtag organization, it wasn't even a nonprofit then. Um, 
and that gave me the 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 it gave me the opportunity to actually speak about issues that I care about, social justice issues that I care about, uh, but to to speak them, to actually give presentations and be the voice that's standing up and like explaining these subjects with the assistance of these you know beautiful elaborate murals that our organization draws, uh, but bringing together people in you know we would put on we regularly performed at colleges. Uh, we also performed at community centers, and at every protest, we were for sure there. <laughs> um, uh, they're kind of the darlings of the protest circuit. But we, by working with them, I had the opportunity to actually vocalize to people I don't know the things that I cared most about at the time. And that really, like, woke me up in like a deep way because finding your voice and I don't know that I even have it today I'm trying to get it back but finding finding your voice to actually speak speak your truth speak truth to power uh, but she just did just, air quotes for yeah, those people because, listening well, that's a phrase but okay. just, no, just, just to clear to use the it. voice that goes with air quotes <laughs> speak truth to power um, but doing this gave me that chance and I don't know that I would have the balls to go up and do this on my own, you know, like saying, hey, listen to me, I care about this thing, and I want you to care about it too, and I'm going to explain it to you, uh, is, is a thing you can do interpersonally, but to actually get up on stage and like tell people this stuff is just like, it's fraught with so many, I have so many issues about it, it's like, who am I to tell these stories, or... But that's the best I? way, right, you're, 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 <laughs> yeah. you're showing them the vehicle, you're presenting the narrative as yeah. opposed to, hey, you get a minute? Yeah, um... So that was, I mean, that was a fantastic experience, very formative. And it also was another early experience that showed me, uh, once again, you can do anything. I didn't know that I wanted to be a public speaker if I was a normal person that would have been terrified if you told me that I would be speaking at one and two and three places a day all over the country. You know, audiences of any size. Maybe it's going to be 50 people today. That can be hard. Maybe it's going to be 500 people tomorrow. Uh, and just getting up and doing it and finding myself in all different random points of the country um, and doing something that I thought was important and necessary. I never would have. I mean, where would you find it? <laughs> so uh, these were things that happened in my life and you know, before I was even like 22. So I've just been like, ripper or ready to go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, how do you how do you sustain that? I mean, you know, when you're a young person, you know, you're you're fueled by ambition, right? Yeah. So, and then as you get older, that if that ambition sustains, you either burn out or you become in you become insincere. Yeah. Potentially, yeah. right? Yeah. So you you mentioned something a few moments ago of like you wanted to recapture a voice or, or change your yeah. I, 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 I don't want to no. misquote you, but what, do you, what did you mean by that? Um, I think we're always changing as individuals. Like we're always in flux. So if in one year you find your voice and you find that you're doing the work that matters to you and you know, you're making headway in, in, the, in the deepest and most important aspects of, of the things that you're ambitious about, well, do that for a little while and maybe people will like applaud you for it and they'll think you're great and you'll be like yeah I am great I'm living the dream look I'm fantastic and very quickly you it switches back over to like an ego driven thing where you're like look at me I'm fucking fantastic I'm living I'm living my my truth and I'm you know it's so easy because I'm doing it so why isn't everybody else doing it and then 
now you have a chip on your shoulder that makes you an asshole again. So, oh, like because people aren't looking well, at you and people aren't giving you the accolades. Or they are. I mean, you can. It, 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 if you at some point find yourself in a really beautiful space, like with yourself, like you, you trust yourself, you value yourself, you're aligning your actions with your goals. I mean, that's happiness. You're doing it. But we always fall out of sync. There is no state that we're in that, that is permanent. Like you, you'll right. find that for a while, and then but I also think you slip that out of it. We're you all, slip out of it even with no cataclysmic event changing you. You just slip out of it. But we're also conditioned to be very suspicious of, of, of happiness, right? Most of us. I, I do agree with that. So when we reach a point in our lives where we find some sort of fulfillment, some of us even do commit self-sabotage. Yeah, the, whether it's a, yeah, professional or even, mm-hmm. or even personal. Yeah, you know, fear of success and the closer you get. Like, right, because we're, yeah. we spend so much time, you know, climbing, and then we reach that, that, that apex or, you know, that little milestone. We're like, wait a minute, I, I, now what do I do? Yeah. What, yeah. what, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, it's a really complicated terrain. It's, I mean, honestly, nothing's easy. Being lazy and not doing anything about your dreams is also not easy. It hurts. It sucks. You you think you know you come to thinking uh, you think low about yourself. You feel like you you lost you lost your magic. You're just another you know just another nobody like doing nothing. You know you, 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 you just describe me. Yeah, but these are these are phases. We're passing in and out of these phases all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I think that is the getting back to ambition. I think that's the danger of ambition is that you are defined by your pursuits and you're defined by your work. So you put so much into that mm-hmm. that you know if it fails, obviously you you know you can retrograde and say, all right, well, I just got to pick myself back up. But what if it succeeds and then you've emptied out all your other buckets into this big bucket of yeah. you know whatever it is that you're pursuing, and then what? And okay, you got your thing, or one one thing of many things. Mm-hmm. That you you have a milestone. Yeah. And then it just, you know, a lot of people, it's it's very odd, and it's something that they can't cope with. Yeah. No, it's um, it, it's incredibly complex. My best thing that I could possibly say for that, I guess, would be that. So on the one hand, ambition is. For me, the thing that it it, it sucks. It's awful. It's the source of my anxiety. And my anxiety rules everything that I do. Every day that I wake up and, and do and work toward the dream is a day that I'm suffering in my own quiet way. Like I'm lambasting myself and like forcing myself to keep going forward with this and, and mustering the energy to believe in the, in the point of doing anything at all. Because at any point you could just check out and be like, I'll just don't become a junkie and like not care, you know, or I'll just like, you know. <laughs> wow, wait, that's, 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 yes, that's, that's the only plan B, like well, that's a junkie great, That's a good plan B as far as like get me out of here. Yeah. Or throw, care in, about throw in like some bad food too. And... Okay, yeah, or just I'm going to, you know, Netflix and show this. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's, you know, so ambition, I've always, I've always had it and I've always been plagued by it. Like it, it is... I'm, I'm sometimes on friendly terms with it and sometimes I hate it. Um, right now I'm fine with it. But it is a tormentor. It is my, my slave driver. Uh, and so, you know, if things look like they're going good and, like, I get good results from the work that I put in and, like, the world says, thumbs up, like, you rock. And I'm like, okay, cool, I'm gratified. I can keep going. Or you just see that your stuff's working. And you're like, okay, there is a point. Like, look, I did this thing. and It's great. 
um, then then you're like, yeah, I have ambition. Thank God I have ambition because it made me do this, and this is a good thing. But then also, you know, it doesn't always work out like that. You work towards something and no one gets it, or you work towards something and it never materializes, or you work towards something and you just burn out, or you work towards something and people are like, this sucks. You're an awful person. Like, why did you do that? You should have done this instead. You know. So, and and the, these things change from minute to minute. You know. Like one person how do you, you, so how do you and then, and then it, it like it completely deflates you, and you're like, oh god, like they didn't like that thing that I wrote, or they didn't like that like organization I started, or they didn't like people don't like not everybody likes everything, so it just depends right. on like who you who you listen to, and it can puff you up or it can knock you down. Um, so, so are you so then therefore do you become selective with who you listen to? No, I or? think you have to. I mean, just you just don't have enough energy to like take on the negative if you're really driven to do your thing you gotta listen to people that are like encouraging you to do it or you're gonna drive yourself crazy listening to the critique you know there's always room for critique right so so I guess well, what's that balance though right because you don't want to surround yourself with just people who are just like a balance. I think just, you just like, go back and forth constantly forever I don't know that there's a balance like well the alternative would be like obviously like you said you want to shun away the, the, the negative voices but on the flip side I mean I mean, you want to listen to them too because right. that's Because you can't just surround yourself with like, oh, everything's great. Exactly. And you know, it's like, uh, it kind of sucked. Yep, exactly. So then so you become suspicious I feel of. Like in my mind, there's actually like physical movement for this. And it's like this uh, kind of like defensive posture where you have both arms kind of up in front of yourself, like you're, like you're boxing. And, and you're kind of like, maybe like in American football, where you're just kind of like, you're just running ahead. You know, you're going to get clobbered, but you just like. You like make it. You just have to like make it to like that line. Like just and you just like roll into it. And then what? All, huh? And then you get up and make it to yeah, the next level. Yeah, people tackle you, and then you're stuck there for a while, and then some time passes, and then you do it again. Right. Isn't that exhausting? <laughs> yeah. All right. What's not exhausting? You figured out something that's not exhausting. You know. Uh, well, the heroin aspect sounds it's pretty good. It's also exhausting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. you're right. I mean, every yeah. every person I know that's that's come through that is like. Actually. See, that's why yeah, I was saying, like, maybe, too. maybe, like, because for every day that you're not that, that you're hiding in that hole, is another day you know you're gonna have to climb out of that hole too. So, mm, right. it, it is, you can get really fucked up, but the second you're not fucked up, you will remember. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh god, this that's is true. not good. You know? Wow, that's so. That I need a plan C then. Like, I don't want to be a heroin addict. <laughs> it's okay. We'll die one day. It's. <laughs> oh, is that C? Peace when I'm when I'm dead. <laughs> so how do you deal with stress then? Uh, I am lucky in that it's not too hard for me to remember that this is just part of what it looks like. It's just part of the path. So what does that What does that look like though? I mean, in um, terms of oh, is it breathing so or is it taking a walk? I or? don't actually do anything special. Um, started going to the gym recently that's cool maybe that is helping I don't know um I, it, I just do something and time will pass and then the feeling will go away that's me um but also um I think I've not really appreciated this very much but I think this is also part of it I have very close friends that I speak to like on the regular none of them live in New York but almost none of them live in New York so it's a phone conversation usually um, Why do you use the phone to talk? I know, right? <laughs> um, talk to my girlfriend. Um, but we, the, one of the aspects of the relationship that we have is that um, they can call me anytime and tell me about their problems, and I will like 
like I'm on the same page as them all the time. There's always something about their life that's relevant to mine. And we have a conversation about like how to deal with this problem. And it's like my catharsis, even though I'm not necessarily even talking about my problem. Right, you know, uh, listening. It's, it's, it, yeah, and it's my catharsis to be helpful, but also it, the things I'm saying to other people are the things I'm saying to myself. You know, so I'm in, in like helping someone else. If that's like the key that allowed me to even help myself, right. then like fine, at least I have that key, right? <laughs> I don't know, because that's a lot of weight, though, right? Like you put on. I like it I, it's not a weight. A weight is something that cripples you. This is something I'm very proud of carry. I love carrying it. It's like a treasure. <laughs> a weight is like on your back and it sucks. A treasure is something you carry in the front. And you're Happy about you're like constantly <laughs> diffusing bombs, right? Is that how? Like, that's kind of like I'm saying. Sound like I'm this noble, like SWAT team of the soul. Um, <laughs> no, although I would love to. I would. I, if I were, if things had worked out differently, maybe I'd be like a therapist or something. Well, it sounds like you are. Right? You're helping your friends and <laughs> people have told me one day I'll be a motivational speaker, and I'm like, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> I mean, you, that's part of it, right? You have to motivate people. I love motivating people. Again, it's me speaking to myself, too. What do, you do, to what do you do in a situation where... Like, if you ever had to fire somebody? Mm-hmm. This is why I don't hire people. <laughs> <laughs> Come on aboard, kind of, sort of. <laughs> I, I want to promise people the world. And if it actually is pegged to my success, then that's at risk. Here, well, here's the thing. So, I have started a number of things right now. I started and uh, have a business that I started five years ago. I have a publication that I started a year and a half ago. Um, and I have started other things many other times. It's because I like to have a vision of the thing that I want to do. No one's going to pay me to do it. I'm not going to find a job to go do that. So, I'm going to start it myself. So, like, I, I'm a self starter in that way. So that's all fine and good, but there's a difference between, like I don't think of myself as, as a leader. I think of myself more as a guide. And I think the difference is a leader says, this is where we're going. You're coming with me and you're gonna do this thing and, and it's gonna help us get there. And a guide says, look, Maybe you want to go that way, or maybe you want to go that way. This way we'll go here, and this way we'll go there. But you choose your path, and this is what that path looks like, and this is what that path looks like. And I'll lead you. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. I will walk next to you. But I don't want to be in front of you saying, we're going here. Do this with me. Do you see, do you see what I mean? Like, it's a subtle I do, but I'm trying, to, like a, I'm trying to quantify that in yeah. the business sense. Oh, well, I mean, it's the same kind of thing where, like, I don't, I don't want to hire anyone ever because I don't want to be responsible for the outcome, like fully responsible for the outcome for somebody else. Like if I had some startup and I'm like, get on board, you're going to get, you know, a percentage, then like I'm promising the world, but it very well may not work. And then your percentages were shit because... Right. Well, you know, I, I would imagine the, the hire would, would right. know that, right? Yeah. Um, but this is why I'm not, I'm not taking the path. I don't want to. Uh, own some big thing where I've got a lot of people like writing on my success for their own success. I don't want to be dependent on in that way. It just makes me uncomfortable. I mean, I think 
in the end, like I would be a better business person for it if I owned up to that. But I don't want to. <laughs> you know, I'm sensing a theme here. That's for businessy people, and it's it's not me. I'm not comfortable with that relationship. I want to be like equals. I don't want to be the person that's at the top. Um, I guess for people listening, can I, it, it could maybe help them quantify? Like, can you talk a little bit about your 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 business? Mm, sure. Um, so. I have, um, oh God, it's actually a really long story. I'm going to try to sum it up. Well, you don't want me to do it. I'll, oh, I'll, no, no. I'll, I'll uh, sure. hammer so, it. I'll butcher um, it. I um, started um, with my family, actually, um, a business that detoxifies dental devices, like dentures. So the reason that this exists at all is because uh, specifically dentures are toxic and no one knows. Like they have the ability to leach toxins and allergens into people's mouths. And it's not really a thing that's well known and there's nobody doing anything about it. Like there's research that, that indicates it and research gives recommendations of things that could be done, but none of them are enforced, none of them are implemented. Um, and we don't even yet know what the health ramifications are for the 35 million people in the US that are dentures, for example. So what are they <clears throat> Where the to- so the toxins they must go straight into the well it's in your mouth right <laughs> what are they made out of um essentially plastic oh. so um so the reason that I I'm not in the dental field so like how the hell did this come to be that I'm you know running this <laughs> um I was privy to knowledge about this industry because my father made dentures for a living and he suffered. Uh, adverse health effects on a very serious level from working with these chemicals, uh, which made us research what these chemicals are, how they interact with the worker who's using them, and how they might potentially be interacting with the patients that wear them. Uh, and we discovered a trove of information that is not like really publicly like accessible. People don't know about it. Even people in the dental field aren't really aware of it. Um, so. Uh, some years ago, we developed a way to remove toxins and allergens from dentures as a laboratory service. Um, and so we, we, we kept it as like a service-based solution for a really long time. Um, and only recently, in the last year, have moved it into being a uh, consumer-facing product. So instead of services, it's now products. Instead of it going to dentists and laboratories, now it goes to patients directly. So it's available online for people to buy. Wow. That's, that's the did, you must have, did, but there probably must have been a lot of uh, hoops to jump through in terms of regulations and approvals and things like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, technically, um, dental devices themselves aren't even FDA regulated because wow. because dentures are not technically medical devices. But we're not even doing dentures. We're actually doing a way to remove toxins from dentures. So so it, it's somebody who has dentures and yep, they would you have use dentures your and you're pro- concerned about the toxins that may be leaching out of them, or if you're suffering from wearing dentures, if they're causing you irritation or some other strange health effect that you're not sure what it is. You like what are some, like, I don't know if any of my oh. listeners have dentures, but you know, maybe their relatives or, do, like what would be yeah, some of the symptoms definitely. they should be aware of? Um, irritation, uh, sensitization, which is like the development of an allergy, like some, something that feels like an allergic reaction to your dentures. It could be local, like in the mouth, it could be systemic. Um, so basically, if your dentures are causing you a problem, like that's that's a serious problem. It's actually quite a serious problem. It's worth looking into. Um, so that 
uh, company is one of the things that like because the origin of it for me was from uh, what had happened to my father. Like on the one hand, it's like okay, it's a business, sell this product to the world. But on the other hand, it's like a deeply like f like um, family based concern that we've had, and that this this company is like a a way to try and rectify things that have happened to us on a personal level as a family in right. the past and like rec rectify them in the world. Like that we um, had the misfortune of learning about this problem uh, and it caused great misfortune in our family. My um, dad suffered health effects and you know didn't work for a while and it, it was this whole thing. So, so um, embarking on it as an actual business is like on the one hand, um, very difficult because I think running a business is hard anyway, but also having it feel like it's deeply tied to your family's like identity and like the capacity in the world, you know, to like take a bad take a bad problem and like make something beautiful out of it or make something beneficial out of it. Um, but that means there's a lot of pressure. Right. <laughs> you know, like I, I almost feel like it'd be um, it would be easier if I were running a company that I had nothing to do with on like an emotional level. Like Crocs. Yeah, 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 Crocs. That's that, yeah. I, just, I mean, it's still for me to actually care to do it. Well, that's still yeah. Well, that's the thing. That I right? thought was important, but I think lots of things are important that aren't necessarily like my story. Like I, I cared to, I cared to be a teacher for refugees and recent immigrants to the country. I'm not a refugee or a recent immigrant to the country, so it's like less of an emotionally burdensome idea. You know, right. Right. It, it, you, I get, get it. You don't have a personal history with. Yeah, and the personal history like, complicates it. It makes it more. It just makes it more difficult and heavy emotional terrain. Um, and so, for example, like one of the tricks that I use in myself um, in running this company is to pretend that I have a boss and I'm just an employee, and the boss says bitch do this and I'm like oh shit like, I really have to do this whether it's like pick up the phone and call someone I'm like reticent to call or like whatever um, but like do this and I go oh, okay I have to do this or I'm gonna lose my job and then I'll do it you know what I mean? it's almost like I need to blame somebody else for having the impetus to do it did you give him a, did, did you give the, this boss a name I know the boss is always me and I always fire myself Disturbed. then I have to rehire myself because there's no one else that will do it for free so there's that day <laughs> Have you ever had to suffer through a job that you that you weren't passionate about that you didn't like? Uh, yeah, I had probably one job that basically had no redeeming merits to it. Whatever. Um, I for a better part of a year when I lived in Seattle, I actually worked at like a contractor's office and I ran the office. But that doesn't really mean anything because nothing ever happened in the office. The phone hardly ever rang. No one came in and out. So were you just on the internet, or we didn't even have the internet. So, so it was just like I read books. I read like I don't know hundreds of books or something. So that was like your that was like your I, I burden read, of like oh I what book am book I going to read day. at work? I read a book a day and I love reading. So on the one hand, it was great. And I was like, this is so cool. I'm getting paid to read. Well, that wore off after like three weeks. Like, I'm useless. Like all of my human talents are just rotting here. Right. And it's great to read. And I know that I should appreciate. Some people would love like, that. I have a nice, cozy, warm place to sit and read all day. All right. But how many times can you read Moby Dick? <sighs> Oh, well, I was reading different books every time. <laughs> but um, I, ha I didn't realize how much of my own happiness was pegged to actually like, like doing stuff, like, like advancing my 
life goals or like working with people in a way that was beneficial or important or significant or useful. I want to be useful and there's nothing more useless than a person that just reads all day and then doesn't even talk <laughs> to people about the things they read. Like that's it's lovely as an experience, but it's, it's also awful as an experience because if you want to be useful and you have no outlet to be useful, then it's like a poison. It's like with every book I read, I just whatever with every book I was reading there, I, I just grew more bitter that I had nothing to do with this. I felt like I was putting riches in and I wasn't paying them out. You're like you're getting like I was getting to, to the end of the, the end of the book. You're like no. I was getting emotionally constipated. But wait a minute, wouldn't that be kind of an existence of you know the the uh, the El Paso existence when you're like taking the broom to the porch? I mean, you'd probably be know, reading there. Right? I know. I know, and that's why the solitary uh, daydream is a daydream for me. Like, it, it's a daydream. It's the thing that I don't actually want. It's a nice thing. To, it's like my happy Fantasy, place. Fantasy. So it's right? my happy place in right. my mind, but if I was there, yeah, I'd get, I'd get restless, and I'd feel useless, and I'd, I'd go find somewhere to be useful. I'd go find something to do. Make something. Go find people to to work with or to help or to do something, you know? <laughs> what I, what I um, was asking about um, your businesses, I was actually um, curious about the, the business that you have. I think it's based in, in New York where you're um, uh, networking other uh, tech professionals together. Mm. Um, I'm sure that's a very low-level layman way of explaining it, but it um, can, it's probably better if you just okay, talk sure. about that. Um, you might be talking about um, my role as the editor of, of New Worker magazine. Um, or you might be talking about my uh, freelancing design and development for, for people that... Uh, <laughs> whatever whatever you'd has. like to talk about. Yeah. Um, I know I never want to see myself working in any capacity in the tech field. It's such a... You Shop. didn't or no, don't? I never would have guessed oh. that I would have anything to do with technologies. And I actually just um, I took a course at General Assembly that's web, that was a web development intensive course. It was like three months of learning Ruby on Rails and Node. And Did you like it? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I loved it. Um, I love it. Uh, and I've been doing front-end design and development for about five years now, uh, just freelance, um, because I like it. I actually really like the work. Um, I never would have saw myself getting into that though. I quite literally like didn't own a phone or a computer until relatively recently and had no trace of my name on the internet and I was very, very happy to keep it that way and I was completely non-technical. And I, it, 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 Not only non-technical, I was against technology. What? You have a face on, like, <laughs> like that's a strange thing. Right, well yeah. I'm thinking like David, like... I was vehemently against technology and all. Yeah, that's like the Unabomber manifesto you just right. saying. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I was. I was completely. <laughs> so how did you turn the page to join the rest of society? I know, right? Um, honestly, just owning a laptop was like the the key. Because then I had this fun thing to play with. And I want to make things. So I figured out how to build a website. And then I figured out a better way to build a website. And then I figured out the right way to build a website. And I just kept, it would just be, it was... It was actually technically interesting, um, and that kind of just drove it forward. Like, I just liked it. But it's almost like, 
you know, you think of some famous musician, and then you go, what if he never had a guitar in his hand? Then he never would have become a musician. You know, it's like once you right. had the tool, it enabled you to discover that you had an aptitude for it or that you enjoyed it, and then you just stuck with it. But if the tool was never put into your hand, then maybe you wouldn't have found that, you know? Um, so. What would your alternate tool be? Well, I actually, I really, I think one of the things that I really like about um, doing development, design and development, is that it is using tools to create things, even though the things are intangible, they're internet property, it's a website or an app or whatever, like they don't really exist, you know, <laughs> they kind of exist, but you can interact with them. Um, but it's that it's an actual hard skill, as opposed to what I've always felt like I had too much of was like just soft skills and no hard skills to back them up. Like I, when I went to college, I got a degree in humanities, you know, I uh, work with people, you know, I, where's the, where's the like thing, you know, I don't know like carpentry or like how to work on cars or like anything useful, right. you know. Do you think um, that's important? In terms I think of it is, yeah, I think it is if you want to be well balanced, if you want to be well rounded. Yeah. If you were talk, if you were giving advice to a a, a, a young person, was would that be? Well, I think it's always good to have a hard skill. I mean, it's also kind of funny that the hard skill. I mean, technology. If I don't have a computer and the internet, then my hard skills doesn't exist. You know, like, but that's so when, significant. When the apocalypse happens, I'm not going to be able to sell design <laughs> development services. You know? Get the cloud. Get the cloud. If, if I could like tinker with pots and pans, then I might be better <laughs> off. Yeah, I think about that a lot. If like aliens came down and they, you know, how would they? You know, it's one thing to like look at hieroglyphics and kind of decipher that, but we don't write anything down anymore. So, like, they need. They would need our software and to access yeah, and any I, kind and of I history. Yeah, and that's like going to be a problem ostensibly in the future. That like legacy systems won't won't be around to run the apps that we built and to you know that these things will like go by the wayside because yeah. they would need to be translated. We don't have Adobe Reader. We can't read PDFs. You know. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of technology, um, uh, what is your uh, what is your opinion on how technology is? you know, kind of seeping into our personal life, you know, in terms of data collecting, in mm. terms of surveillance, and in terms of, um, yeah, it, I it, actually not, was just, just not just the, the power of that, you know, and like, you know, just, that's just surveillance, but a, society's, from what I think, laissez kind of fair attitude of like, hey, it's just, you know, whatever, nobody's in a room reading my emails. Mm-hmm. I actually just listened to the podcast that you had with Shuli Halleck, <laughs> um, and you guys really get into that, and I love it. She's brilliant. Um, <clears throat> you guys really went down the rabbit hole. With her, I could, yeah, we could go pretty <laughs> further down. Yeah. Um, I'd love to have both of you on. That'd be great. We'll do it. I'd love to. Yeah, oh my god, I love it. I love geeking out with her. It's, <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. Um, she's such a big systems thinker, and like, she's... The big picture. And hey, hey, hey let's picture. not no, she, like what? glorify her with compliments. No, she's come great. on. She's what? She's <laughs> excellent. <laughs> um, but oh, God, I have always had like a kind of knee-jerk disdain for the way that like, the way that I feel like technology is going. In general, I would say that it was like a bad thing for humanity. I kind of have changed my opinion here recently, so. Uh, I don't have like a firm belief like laid down. I'm in I'm in transition from like my what I used to think to wherever 
whatever I'm gonna think, I'm not yet sure that I think it yet. So, um, I mean, people have always used technology. People and technology are like, that, that's what people do is they create and use technology, whatever, whether it was like fire or, you know, a hammer or like a rock or whatever, you know. Um, and we always um, adopt it into our, to some degree, into our identity. Like, I am a person that knows how to use. Uh, I'm an electrician. Like, I know how these technologies work. And that's, like, my job, and that's my utility in the world, and, like, that's, that's a personality type or whatever. So, like, we, we adapt to these to technologies, and they become part of us. Um, so that's nothing new, and we'll always just do that. It's a human thing to do. Um, what I would have said before, so I don't know that I think this anymore, is that um, the pervasiveness of technology to like actually change like our humanity, like what actually makes us human. So like for example, if there's like technology that could like keep us alive forever, changes what we would think of to be like a fundamental aspect of humanity, that you'll die one day, but then maybe technology will mean we don't have to die. Or whatever simpler explanation of like, I don't have to remember stuff, I can look it up online. I don't have to learn something, I could just get the piece that I need when I need it. And right now I have to type words into a phone and look at Wikipedia and read with my eyes and remember. And then maybe in the future I will just have to like think up what I wanted to know. And then I'll have that information like instantly in my brain. And we can cut out the middleman of the hand, the typing, the reading, mm -hmm. right? So we can imagine that happening. And if we can imagine it happening, it's going to happen eventually. I'd say fairly right. soon. Sure. So um, on the one hand, I would say... Uh, part of what we are is that we don't have instant access in our brainstem to like all world knowledge. Not know? yet, not yet. But we do have access in the palm of our hand to all world knowledge if right. we have the time or care to look for it. Um, if you don't like that idea, it's because you're, it, it offends your notion of what people are and should be. Or what people have been and you're conflating what they have been with what they should be so whereas what I used to say was like if a technology like cuts too deep into what we are as people and like changes who we are as people then it's not good it's like a, it's a wrong direction to go and I don't believe that anymore I don't know that it's the right way to go but I think it just is yeah there's it's, no it just is that's how it works yeah, and, exactly. uh, and like at what point do you draw the line and you say well that was this is this technology is too invasive. Whether it's like data collection, and you know, in the near future, like all, I, all aspects of who I am will be known in some kind of like quantified way. Um, whether it's like my medical records or my sleep patterns or what triggers me to be afraid or what kind of people I will like and not like or what kind of products I would buy or whatever. But like aspects of my personhood that I today consider private, because they always have been private, one day will be known and manipulated and used by other by the powers that be. If I dislike that idea, fine. Is it going to happen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I spent my whole life fighting against it, which I would have been very keen to do uh, some years ago, um, then great. But I think that's still going to happen. Because if somebody wants to make that happen somewhere, like then it's gonna happen. Because even if you like change those people's minds or took away their ability to build that, somebody else would build it eventually. 
if it is possible, it will happen one day. And knowing that, then there is a, there is a, it is a river, it will go forward. Like you can divert it, you can put a dam, it will keep coming. It is the, it is the river of time, like it is, it is the river of potential. It, that's where we're going. So is there, is there a point in fighting it? Because if that's where we're going, then like, it's a wasted energy to fight it. Doesn't mean that I want to embrace it. <laughs> I'm still, but what about still like issues of privacy? Is that something that should also be part of that, that that current, that flow, that river? Yeah, like what what my mother would say today is that it is inherently wrong for the state or corporations or whoever to know these things about you, to like read the words that you write in an email, to make guesses about your purchase history. What you know, where you stand in the economic system, that is, it is wrong for them to because it's invasive. That this is my privacy, and it is, it is these things are mine. I own them, and you don't have access to them, uh, and that's the way that it should be. Well, that's the way that it was. Right. So where do we get the notion of shoulds? Like I bet the, if you ask most teenagers, it's not an issue for them. That exactly. They care. Right. So in a very short amount of time, something that my mother would consider very fundamental, something that I consider very fundamental until very recently. Is now just another piece. It's just another thing yep. that, like, that that's just part of who people will be. And yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't like you can think of reasons why that would be bad, and you can think of reasons why that would be good. But it's happening, right? I think you can resist. Well, and it. I really hate saying this because I don't, I don't like it. But grandma, get over it. That's where we're going. You know? Yeah, I mean that's. I mean that kind of. I, I kind of was in you know in, in your position too. I resisted it for so long. I. You know, I would pass people and, you know, like, like you'd see like couples in cafes or whatever and they're kind of, they're both on their phone and I just feel like, that's, that's kind of dumb. But then I looked at, you know, it's, it says more about me and then their situation. I have no idea what they're doing. Maybe they're making plans to go somewhere else or, oh, it doesn't matter that, that maybe they don't like each other. The point is this is happening this is a thing that's something you know i can prove it's it's yeah. happening it's yeah. whether or not i like it or dislike it that may change yeah but it's going to continue to happen yeah and that's and, and technology. just like with any change um as we sit on this side before the change has fully happened we can quantify what we will lose because we know it well we know what we have so we can imagine if, if this change happens then we'll lose this thing I don't want to lose anything because we have this thing and it's good. Uh, as you sit here knowing what you're about to lose, you're not there in the future knowing what you have to gain. So you, you, this is why we resist changes because we have something to lose that we can actually measure. But you can't measure the thing that hasn't happened yet that might be good or whatever. Like <laughs> is what it would good even mean? I think it's you know? yeah. So it's that fear, right? The fear of of losing something you have and not knowing what lies ahead. Yeah. And, I mean, for me, I have a deep aversion to uh, surveillance. I have a, a deep learned aversion. I assume that it's learned. I don't know, but it's intrinsic. There's things that happened in my past that, that, that I feel like made me this way. Um, where, uh, <laughs> whether it's 
I mean, the early version in the 90s was you go to the grocery store and they want to give you the discount card, so you have to give them your name and your phone number to get the discount card. Right. Or no you problem. Could... I gave them a fake name and a fake number. I've you... always done that. You go to the Gap or anywhere, yeah. they'll say, like, can I get your email address? Yeah. yeah, you can get my email. It's not really my email. Right. So they know they must know that, right? Sure, great. But this was like an early encroachment. You know, this is like you you were just giving up voluntarily for the whatever and, and you and yeah, and you could like make up different facts to give them. But I can't make up different facts about my like uh, the his if you're tracking like the history of how I like my Google history or whatever, like my search history. Uh, I can't really fake that. I would have to go out of my way to fake that. Maybe there'd be a cool service that like helps me fake that, but like I would have to be intentional about faking it. But it, even then, I mean, it's it's too tied to you. It's not it's not about me voluntarily giving up information. It's about the information being taken from me while I while I just do while I do my normal thing. Like as I conduct my daily business, this is a thing that's this is the tax that I have to pay to do it, and the yep. tax is that they're going to take this information and whatever probably profit from it. That's the goal, but like whatever. That's that's built in to us using these free services. So I could go out of my way right now to use not free services that do protect my privacy, and I hope that people do, uh, and I, I hope that that continues. But is that where we're all going to end up in a hundred years? No, <laughs> everything's going to be known about us in a hundred years. You know. <laughs> And those uh, those salad days of like actually being able to pull off like a bank robbery by like pointing a gun at someone, those days are gone. Like, oh, yeah. I miss them so. <laughs> It'll, miss yeah, them it's just many. pressing a button and like. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Uh, I don't want to lose these things. I don't. I love the. I love my anonymity. I love my privacy. Um, and I have already given up so much of it uh, just in the last couple years by by stepping into more visible roles and having a presence on the internet. I feel very different as a person as a result. I had a deep sense of security being t completely not present on the internet. It gave me a sense of security because the worst case scenario, which I have experienced, uh, the worst case scenario is that someone would use your information, your whereabouts, facts about you, would use them for nefarious purposes, and they would pursue you and be, and ruin your peace of mind, ruin your feeling of safety, because at any moment you could be tracked by someone that had bad intentions. Knowing that made me feel safe by being anonymous on the internet, um, and I don't have that anymore, and I chose to give that up in exchange for being a more public voice, having more public presence, um, and now I have the freedom to come and do like this show where I never would have thought to do that because I never would want my name and my face attached to anything like anywhere, especially in a place where I was coughing up valuable information about who I am as a person, things I've done, places I've been, things that I know. Um, I am actively feeding that information out there into the world right now as I speak. I love it because I deeply want to communicate with people. I'm also terrified of it because I'm aware that it could be used against me. And to not realize that it could be used against you is naive, is fucking naive. It's, it's stupid because of course it can be used against you. And I hope it never is. 
but you won't have any choice over whether it is or it isn't. That is out of your hands. Once the information is out there, anyone can do anything with it, whether it's some jerk troll giving you shit, which is usually most people's concern, right? Or uh, something more sinister, or something state-related, or just a spurned person in your life that wants to make your life hell, or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's possible. And by get, it's like leaving your door unlocked. You can do it. Don't cry when somebody breaks in. Or just be mindful yeah, of well, when you leave, exit and enter your apartment, right? But, right? but that shouldn't, that's but, a good analogy because that shouldn't, just because there are bad people out in the world, you should be able, you should still leave your apartment. You just make sure you lock the door and just be aware of your right. surroundings. And this is a, I mean, some hundred years ago, even in New York, I'm sure people didn't lock apartments. There was a time when we oh, did not lock yeah. our possessions. And sure. there are places in the world today where you don't lock your possessions. And that's, the, that was one of the luxuries that, like, that's a luxury. And we don't have that luxury. We live in New York City. If you don't lock your bicycle and somebody steals it, everyone will just laugh at you because of course they, of course they stole it. We anticipate that a, a negative outcome would come from you not being vigilant. And I think people have a responsibility to be vigilant about their own safety. And not just like point at the nanny state and go, oh, protect me. And I think this goes across the board, whether it's like you're, you know, protecting your, your physical integrity when you're out on the street, um, or protecting your, like, you know, whether, whether it's like sexual assault, whatever, like there is a degree of personal vigilance that you, you need to have if you expect a good outcome. Shit can still happen to you, but if you need to cover your bases. And the way that the internet works, like the way that, the way that we have come to use the internet is not the way that the internet had to work. It's just the way that we've all agreed to. Like, I get Gmail for free. It's great. They know everything about me. And now it's not just Gmail. It's Google. The biggest company <laughs> knows everything about me. And we quietly did not make that uh, a, a conscious decision when it was happening. And then now we're all embroiled in this thing. So like, oh shit, here we are. Okay, so like, who cares? Let's just take it to the next level. Like, yeah, I'll give out all my information about this, that, this, that. And it's all good. Because we live in a peacetime country. People are naive. They think everything's all right. You know? <laughs> Get stalked. You will change your mind. Yes. Get harassed. You will change your mind. Get pursued by the state. You will change your mind. So, and I hope these things don't come to pass for people, but they do happen. Well, also, I think it really, it's, it's a matter of how do you want to live your life, right? Do you want to... Um, given to the things that you're afraid of and live your life according to that? Or uh, do you want to be careful and say, you know what, I'm aware of these things that might happen, but I also want to try and do these other things and open all these other doors because that's exciting to me. Mm -hmm. the I'll give up some security for this experience or this mm -hmm. adventure or, or, um, or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like rock climbing. You know, how you have to be careful because there will be consequences mm -hmm. if you're not. But little by little, you'll, you'll get to the top. Yeah. And it's, it could potentially be dangerous, but at the same time, once you get up there, you enjoy the view. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have enjoyed the view if you didn't go on yeah. the rock. Yeah, no, and I, and I have lived my, my life that way to a very large degree, whether it's uh, traveling alone, which I've done in the farm you know, far-flung places in the world, and also here in the United States. Um, 
you name it. Like, I've never said no because I've been afraid of an outcome. I've always actively embraced taking the risk. Um, one of the early things that I used to do back in the early days of Craigslist was for $30, you could get a ride with anybody on using rideshare. You get from Sanford, or sorry, from Seattle all the way to Los Angeles, which is like a two-day drive. Um, and so you would just the meet the, meet, you would yeah, show up you, and like, well, hey. You post, it's still there today. People just post, hey, I'm making this drive tomorrow at like four o'clock. If you want to come, call me. And then you just call them and you talk to them for a second and then they can pick you up. And then and now you're riding with a stranger for like thousand, you know. What could possibly, what could go wrong? Well, I suppose anything could happen, <laughs> but I actively wanted to trust individuals. And this was also in the early days of Craigslist where like by and large the only people that knew about it were people that were in a, in a community it hadn't yet been exploited. I think Airbnb is kind of in that zone right now where it's like most people that are using it are like kind of into the ethos of it. And the, that, that crazy person that like wants to fuck it up like hasn't yet caught on board. Right. Or enough of them haven't yet got on board that they've caused a big problem. So new communities have that luxury because they're they're new. <laughs> um, but I I actively wanted to trust individuals, strangers. Strangers are just friends you haven't met yet, and I believe <laughs> that. I believe that. Um, but I think it's very different to trust the goodness. Of so I'm assuming all those were, were were good stories, all right? All of them were totally successful. All of them were totally successful. I met fantastic friends. And you really get to know somebody when you spend 22 hours in a car with them. Wow, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's great. It's basically <laughs> this podcast, but just two people in a <laughs> <laughs> um, And yeah, I had nothing but fantastic experiences. And that's also the case whether it was like couch surfing in like exotic locales or like just meeting someone on a train and like, in, in, in Slovenia and then and just going home with them or whatever. What? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because, you, but I would make the distinction between trusting the goodness of another person when it's the two of you together. I would contrast that with generically trusting all people on the internet and anything that might be done with your information. Because now it's not person to person. It's you and anyone else in the world or any institution in the world for any possible reason and also forever the internet is not snapchat like i wish it was i wish shit would delete in like one day that's why i use the internet on my phone (laughs) (laughs) no but that would be great like i i am a writer i love writing i love it i always have written but i've only recently started publishing because i was reticent to put my voice out there not because i'm afraid of my voice but i'm afraid of the ramifications because you can build a dossier on people and I, just, I, I do have a degree of, call it what you want, I do have a degree of paranoia about it, but I have paranoia about it because I've experienced the opposite, the, the bad side of it, and so I don't want that to befall me. So, if I write something, then it's there forever. Unless I like, pop, you know, delete it and nobody like cached it and saved it and it's not on the Wayback Machine. But if I publish something, it's there forever. Why is the internet forever? Why is everything that we put on there forever? It's just Good a basic, point. it's a basic, you know, it's just one of those things that like that's how we've decided to make it work. Why are the services that we use for free? Why would it not be, we used to pay for software in the 90s. Why would it not be crazy to like pay for, pay for a service so that it was kept a private network and the stuff wasn't like there forever? Why not? Remember the we old days when you'd get a computer and then it'd come with like like 17 CDs yep. and then you'd have to load them all up to your like yep. computer? Like, ah, oh, this is... This is work. Yeah, but um, in exchange for having it for free, they keep our information. 
But it doesn't have to be that way. But it's like once and forever. That's it's a big commitment. It is, you know. I'm over well, it. Wait, I'm wait, over wait, wait, wait. So wait a minute. So that sensibility that you just described in terms of like meeting strangers and things like that, do you still have that? Yeah. I trust implicitly the goodness of an individual. More so an individual than a group. Oh well yeah, sure. I mean some groups sense. are terrifying. Like a group of like disaffected fifteen year old boys. Like that's that's like the scariest group you could come upon. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but one-on-one, yeah, sure. Put me in with, put me in a room with anybody. Like, I'll love them. We'll figure it out. It's very rare that someone has, like, such a thing in them that, like, makes them want to, like, hurt their, their fellow man. It's very rare. I know that that's, like, the big scary thing that we should be afraid of, but that's, that's, that's far less scary to me than, like, institutional violence. And also the thing that you can never expect with, which is what somebody might ever choose to do with anything you've ever said done that, because it lives on the internet forever. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, before we run out of time, uh, one question that I always well, I have two questions for you. One question I, I, I'd like to ask um, my guests when they come on is if we were in a time machine and we were to go back, uh, what would you say to 21 uh, year old Melissa? You're so fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> El Paso's bullshit. Don't do it. Um, I don't have any regrets. Uh, that's it's a luxury to be able to say that, but it's also a choice. It's a choice in perspective. So whatever path you take is the right path because the story's never over. So okay, fine. Maybe it's not the right path, but it's not the wrong path. There is the path is. Whatever path you take, like, that's it. It's done. You get one chance. But like the outcome, the story's never done. So where, where, it's like that Chinese proverb like about the horse and the neighbor that says, oh, your horse ran away. What terrible luck. Except the horse comes back the next day and bring back, brings back other horses with it. Oh, what great luck. <laughs> but then the next day, the son is trying to break one of the horses and the horse throws it off and the kid breaks his leg. Oh, what terrible luck about the horse. <laughs> and then the next day, the uh, military rolls through and conscripts all the boys, except the boy is injured, so he can't go to war. Oh, what great luck. The story's never over. Like, at what point do you decide, like, okay, story's done. Was it good or bad? Because uh, it continues. Kind of maybe what we were talking about before, and I think people do that based on uh, that list of what accomplishments that they want to have or think they should have whether it's personal or professional and then they reach a point in their life or a point in their career and they say I haven't done any of these things I'm complete shit I'm worthless but it's time to reevaluate and I'm going to steer this boat back and I'm going to do this 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 and this which could be good but I think sometimes you know we we go through that that I don't know it's um we 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 just we self-inflict so much uh Mm-hmm. Of unnecessary, uh, you know, pain on ourselves by doing that sort of eva- you know evaluation, mm-hmm. and so you look for shortcuts. Or some of us you look for shortcuts of like, I need a win. You know, I, I'm, nothing's going good for me. Mm-hmm. And then you start eating pizza, watching Netflix, and <laughs> doing heroin. <laughs> and although I, yeah, I'm not going to do heroin now. You, you've convinced me. All right, final question. 
Uh, we've been building up for this one. Ready? Ready. Right now, what is happiness to you? Uh, today, speaking about things I think, things I believe, and having a rich conversation on that, and like having the comfort in my own voice uh, to say these things, and to hear my voice and not cringe at it. You know, it happens, you know, you, you hear um, when you're nervous or when you're lost and you can't articulate yourself clearly, you hear yourself trip up and then you trip on that and then you... Really, what makes you nervous? I don't know, it happens sometimes. <laughs> I don't know, it does happen sometimes. So. Um, but, I mean, real happiness, I don't think, is actually a necessarily a pleasurable state. It, happiness is like the moment when you realize that what you're what you believe and what you're doing are aligned and i, th I think if you believe something and you're not actively working toward it you're not really going to be happy you can find pleasure here and there but you won't find fulfillment and pursuing fulfillment is fulfilling and pursuing fulfillment is a struggle but that's that's i think happiness and fulfillment are probably the most uh similar words like my version of happiness is, is either finding fulfillment, but it's really always a process getting there. So it's a process toward being fulfilled. Right. It's yeah. not the journey. It's, it's the oh no, it's, oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's not the yeah. destination. It's the journey. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Melissa, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. This is this incredible. Is this is. Uh, <laughs> I, I think... didn't get to ask you the one question I wanted to ask you. Oh, oh, you can ask me. Well, no, it was oh. a long time ago when we were emailing, uh, and you said. Um, and your name being Vandal, and you said something to the effect of, uh, nights are better for me because, oh no, wait, nights are no good for me. We'll get together in the day. Nights are no good for me because I'm in a street gang. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> his name is Vandal, he's a street gang. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> well, it's funny because there was a street artist uh, in, in Williamsburg um, over on Roebling, and he used to tag things. He, like, he would have a giraffe, and uh, he would write Vandal. And uh, I thought it was funny because of my name, but I also was like, Really, that's kind of uh, it's kind of redundant. Right? That's like <laughs> an athlete. My name's basketball player. Like, You're Amanda. We get it. Okay, get a new tag. Come on, like I don't know. Um, it's been great. Melissa, thank you again. Thanks. Um, any other? Any? Uh, where can people find you if you want them to find you? Oh well, of course I want them to find me now. Now that I'm out oh, there, come on. Not, not, yeah, we 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 outed ourselves. Um, well, I guess I never properly introduced myself. My name is Melissa Mescu. It's an E S K U. Everything uh, on the internet that has that name is me because there's no other person with that name. What is that? Uh, what is your? What is it's that? A misspelled Romanian last name. <laughs> how do they, How do you mean? Uh, it, it should be E S C U, I suppose. Oh. Um, but also the name is faked anyway. So it's Ellis Island. They change names when that happens. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but Melissa. Mescu. You'll be getting a call later. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank oh. you again. All right. Thanks. Um, to all you listening, as I say uh, all the time, uh, you're a part of this conversation too. You're just on the quiet side. So appreciate you. Thanks for listening. And Bodhisattva, go out and do good in the world. Thanks. <laughs>